think of the scariest thing you can. Spiders. Zombies. Getting old. Women have been fed a story around turning 35. A terrifying tale of a cliff that you fall off, of where your eggs shrivel up and good luck getting pregnant. So you'd better hurry up and settle down with anyone with sperm if you want to have a baby. How true is this story? The average woman goes through menopause at age 51. So what happens to you between the age of 35 when women are told their pregnancies are geriatric and high risk and the show-stopping final number of women's reproductive life that is menopause? This is the Spinster Life Podcast, the podcast that is looking forward to getting older. So, why do we base all women's value on this arbitrary age? Today I'm joined by Michelle Wispelway to discuss the cultural and societal narrative that causes women undue anxiety and the truth about fertility. Michelle is the co-founder and president of Femgevity. She is a visionary leader in the femtech and digital healthcare industry with over 18 years experience in women's health initiatives. She founded Femgevity, a digital telemedicine platform providing women with custom concierge care for menopause and feminine longevity to empower women to take control of their well-being and achieve their fullest potential. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate uh, being here today. Yes. So please tell us a little bit more about you and your company, your mission, and how you got into the business of helping women live their best lives into menopause and beyond. Yes. So we founded Femgevity in 2022, uh, myself and my business partner. And it's a digital telehealth platform that offers women access to custom concierge care for menopause and feminine longevity. You know, it's really just implementing women's health initiatives and We have this relentless passion for driving innovation in the femtech industry and women's consumer health sectors. And I always wanted to find a way to create solutions that empower women to take control of their health and well-being and really to achieve their fullest potential. And I've been in the healthcare industry. I've actually been in the diagnostic lab industry my entire career. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy world. And, you know, I've worked at various labs, national labs, Northeast regional labs, and it's enabled to me to really become like a visionary leader to get to where I am today in this digital health industry. And I've always worked in the women's healthcare programs and molecular diagnostics and genetics and cytology. And it's just always been a deep passion of mine. That's amazing. So what you're doing with Femgevity is you are making it a little bit more consumer friendly, a little more consumer facing, and just letting women know that they have options when it comes to their healthcare and aging. We're not just stuck in one path or with doctors telling us, oh, you know, whatever. It's just what happens. You get older and it's natural. You just feel awful from now on. Yeah. So we are creating personalized menopause care and that's unique to you. So it's not just a patch that goes on every woman's body. It is individual needs, goals, treatments, whether it's pharmacologics, bioidenticals, supplements, nutraceuticals, peptides, there's no limit to what we offer, to what is tailored to you and makes you feel better. If you do if you do a hormone panel and we still can't find something out of whack, well, let's dig a little deeper and do something nutrigenomics or gut microbiome test to see, see really what's get, digging in at a granular le- level and make you feel better. Such a breath of fresh air. Women are Thank so you. overlooked in the healthcare space. Yes. You know more about the healthcare industry than I do, but I am aware that they don't trust every drug on women. So they don't always know what unique reactions are going to happen in a woman's body. They 
don't test a lot of things in the world for women. We're not living in a, in a world that's designed for women. So thank you for creating something that pays attention to women as individuals and not just a one size fits all solution. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you. And I cannot wait to pick your brain about today's topic, which is women who are turning 35. 35 is seen as this terrifying cutoff. It's the time when your eggs expire. So you better hurry up and you better get your life in order so you can have that baby before you turn 35 and just everything goes to shit. The age 35 as a cliff is really more anxiety provoking than factual. And um, it's a combination of cultural, social, and perceived of what our grandmothers lived through and that your life, once you hit 50, well, you need to go into retirement and, and dry up and die, basically. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so concerned about this perception of this cliff because mm -hmm. I hear so many women making sacrifices and rushing into relationships because they think that's what they need to do in order to have a healthy pregnancy. But if anyone sits there and does the math, okay, so you've got 35, and then you have the average age that women go through menopause, which is 51. 51. So that's a lot of years in there. So let's talk about that span of time and how we can all adjust our thinking around fertility and women's health in that time. And let's also talk about perimenopause, that time before you go through menopause. Yeah. So perimenopause is actually, it's biologically a chaotic phase leading up to a woman's last period when her reproductive cycle makes its final faltering runs, really. So perimenopause could be anywhere from seven to 10 years. And it's a transitional period where your body begins to produce less estrogen, less progesterone, less testosterone. And it can really start as early as in your 30s. You know, we have a, we've had a couple of patients actually this just past week that are like 38. I had someone that I spoke to this week that she just had a baby and she's having symptoms. And it, a woman's levels fluctuate and it, it causes various of 100 plus symptoms. It could be as direct as brain fog, anxiety, insomnia. Some people even have like electric shocks like even spots in their eyes, your cholesterol levels start going up and down differently. There's things thinning of the hair. You just feel like garbage sometimes. And it's an interesting time where you you don't know where you should really go for help because you're also not comfortable. It's very taboo to talk about. And one of the biggest things during perimenopause is like a lot of vaginal dryness. So it causes a lot of relationship problems. And if you look the years of kind of divorce rates, there's been studies, you know, obviously there's very different reasons why people get divorced. But if you look at this at the years, they're really, their years are like perimenopause where you don't want to have sex, you're moody. So it, you really just don't, don't know what to do about it. So it, it, and there's three stages of menopause. There's perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. Menopause is actually just one day of your life in time. It's the first day that you haven't had your period for 12 consecutive months. So just poof, one day. So it's really the perimenopause day, the perimenopause time that is really where you need to treat yourself and pay most attention. Because if you have all these health issues that are leading up and you hit menopause, they're going to ex ex exacerbate. Yeah, that is crazy. I did not know that it, menopause is 
this one day. It's sort of like a like a like a season finale. Yeah, it's like it's like the nine hundred two one zero season finale. <laughs> yeah, I did not know yeah. that there was such like a hard demarcation. It's a hard stop. Yeah, that is a real hard stop. Yeah, so it is really crazy that we don't talk about perimenopause because this is something that can go on for years and it can cause all sorts of discomfort. Can it cause health problems as well? Yes. So Alzheimer's and dementia are the highest rates in women because of the insomnia and lacking of a lack of sleep and brain fog. And when you have depletion of your estrogen and progesterone and testosterone levels, you have all these symptoms. And um, there's diabetes, osteoporosis, hyperlipidemia issues. So there's a lot of issues that occur that you actually, it's worse off for you not to take estrogen than to take it. Estrogen has had, there's been a lot of controversy from the WHI study that caused millions of women to go off their hormone replacement therapy that actually did much more harm than good. To me, it just sounds like, well, I think there are a lot of issues here. I think that there's this perception that menopause is this scary, terrifying thing. And it's sort of the end of you as a woman because it's the mm-hmm. end of your fertility. I think it's also, it's it's a, oh, well, I went through this. So now you have to go through this. It's that kind of thing. Like I mm-hmm. suffered through this because when I was going through this. Medicine was at a place where it really didn't listen to women and it really didn't listen to women's pain and symptoms. And I think it, there's also that like, we just don't talk about it because of all of these things. Like when you're a little girl and you're just starting to enter puberty, you get sat down and you get the talk about your cycle and what menstruation is and how to have a period and what you can expect through your period. And we don't really have like a sit down event or class or talk that like our mothers or women in our lives sit us down for and explain menopause and explain what we could possibly expect. That's absolutely correct. And there's been lack of education and community. And women have been whipped back and forth on whether estrogen is good for them or bad for them. And it really needs to end now. Like I think this year is the year that's really going to redefine that. And our moms and our grandma, my grandmothers and our great grandmothers, they didn't have the education themselves. And it's basically like, you have to just deal with it and zip it and go on with life. So they didn't really have anything to tell us because it's basically like they're plotting your slow dying, your slow death. So there's nothing exciting. You know, like you get taught about the birds and the bees because as a little girl, you're like, I'm going to have a husband, I'm going to have babies and a family and grandchildren. It's this fairy tale. But your parents aren't going to be like, well, your vagina is going to dry up. You're not going (laughs) to want to have sex anymore. And you're going to sweat profusively in public and look like shit all the time. No, no one's going to want to do that. (laughs) We have that image too of menopause as, oh, it's, it's only awful things. But do you have any experience with any patients, people that you've worked with that were relieved after menopause who enjoyed going through the process who are like really in touch with their bodies and found it really interesting to to see like the changes that were going on. Yeah. So we have a lot of patients that feel that it's a time of growth, empowerment, liberation. They could, they've watched their kids grow to the next phase of their life and then they could enjoy and they're redefining aging. They're they're 
redesigning their narrative on their health. And then it's time to get back your life in a different way and start focusing on yourself more, right? You know, in your 30s and in 40s, you're raising your kids and running to sports games and doing whatever it is. Women always take care of themselves last. But once you hit this menopause phase, it's you really take health seriously in a different level. And it's more about you and knowing what you want and confidence and not just in your health wise, but personally, professionally, emotionally. So it's, to me, it's really exciting. And we see that excitement in our patients and we reinforce that with them too. And we open up ways on to just dive into their bodies so much deeper and, you know, on on various levels on, you know, how to just their anxiety and mental mood, their mental state. And yeah, so we, we constantly see that. Yeah. And that just runs counter to this narrative that we've been fed about menopause. So let, I think, I think we've allayed some of the fear around menopause itself. So let's go back to 35. Let's go back to that cliff, that this age way before. So yes, you might be experiencing some perimenopausal symptoms, perhaps, but let's talk a little bit more about this myth, how insidious it is, how it hurts women. Let's talk about men too, because I think part of this story of 35 is the cutoff for women, but we don't ever talk about men's declining fertility, even though it is happening just the same as it is happening for women. It's just that men don't go through menopause. Exactly. And I actually, I when I was 30, when I turned 35, it was actually a very scary year for myself because I was like, oh my gosh, I am so close to 40. This is so scary. And even when I turned 40, I'm 42. It was just, it, it was very frightening for me, but I have been blessed to be on this journey with longevity, and I completely redefine what it means and the excitement in it. So I can ingrain that in our patients and community and family and friends. And and it's interesting because like when men reach 35, there's no persuasive idea that they have biological clocks and then they could become a dad at any time. It doesn't matter. Like their sperm ages like fine wine and it's like a 1983 Barolo, you know, it's so, (laughs) but that is so far from the truth. And I've said 35 is as a cliff is anxiety provoking. And my business partner and CEO, Kristen Mallon with me, she is a midwife and she's been, one of her tricks is getting women pregnant. She always figures it out why they can get pregnant. And a lot of the times that she has seen, it's actually the man. And it's funny is because they test the woman and they dig through everything and their OB And it must be the woman's fault why they can't get pregnant. And then they go, then it's when they go to the reproductive endocrinologist that they both test the man and woman. And then let's see, oh, maybe it's not her. And not saying it's, it's women have a lot of fertility issues too, but it's not just the 35 year old woman. It's also the male's issue. When you're talking about like reproductive clinics or people that need help conceiving, you're not just also, you're not just talking about women over 35. There are women from all stages of life who are having reproductive problems. Like this yeah. is- Yeah, it's, it's it, yeah, it, it's not age. And I'm not an OBGYN, you know, I'm, I'm on the business end, but I've been in women's health my entire career and been around enough doctors on a daily basis. And it's really 
your egg quality and it's various other factors. There's environmental factors. There's genetic factors. It's not just your age. And I have family that in their late 20s that haven't been able to have babies and had to go through IVF and friends that have had PCOS that couldn't get pregnant and they were way in their young 30s. It's not an age because you see a ton of women just getting pregnant, especially now later in life. People are very career driven and they get married later. They find their partner leader, especially now with COVID. You miss like three years of of human contact with people and, and you lost you know, momentum with your career. So it's just, it's just different now. Yeah. It's not age. There's so many other factors that are out of, out of our control. There's, you know, it's hard to get childcare. It's housing affordability. It's all of these things that make people feel secure enough to have children that were just, you, you can, you don't find them right away necessarily. So sometimes you just have to delay having children because you want to feel more financially secure secure in your career whatever it is and yeah it's that that tariff it's a cliff you're putting all of this on women and it's other women that are perpetuating this as like some kind of fact like you are once you hit 35 those eggs boom they're just expired now a young girl is born with a million eggs when she's born and by the time she reaches puberty there's about 300,000 eggs left. So you're constantly depleting your eggs and your ovaries or the way they function and, and you lose those eggs. And you know by your, by your late 30s, you're down to about 25 to 30,000 eggs left and 51 is significantly lower because you've lost your, your not having your menstruation cycle anymore and you've, you have your estrogen levels that depleted. But you have to be aware that there's definitely risks in chromosome abnormalities, but it's because of the quality of the eggs left and the function of their ovaries. One of the biggest things to do is with your GYN, your OBGYN is do preconception testing. The medical testing has become so far advanced with SNPs and genomics and with RNA and DNA, there's the NIP te- NIPT testing, there's your carrier screening, there's cancer risk testing. There is so many genomic testing that you can really be very um, responsible and prepare in advance. And a lot of people now are freezing eggs too. They're freezing eggs. Right. So, so you um, do you have yeah. those higher quality eggs. And I, I absolutely love that awareness of testing. I think that's key is that don't just freak out over this number 35. You have to have information about yourself and you can get that right. information. This is widely available testing. This is information that you can easily get about yourself so that you can make those decisions based on facts and not just based on, oh, scary, 35 old woman can't have kids. And if you do, it's just going to be a disaster. You don't want off-sited statistics. You want data that's factual, that's from a medical community to really drive your decision on when and when you are not going to have a child. You know, a lot of this information about that women 35 to 39 cannot get pregnant, and after you're trying, they're never going to get pregnant. That statistic is actually from data from the 1700s in France, where researchers looked at a bunch of church birth records from people whose life expectancy was, at the time around, was 30 years old, and came up with these statistics. And it's still... And it's still being used. <laughs> I, 
I don't even know what to say to that. That blows my mind. Yeah. First of all, that that is where that number comes from. This data does not apply to us in modern times. Not even close. Not even, not even close. close. This is from a time when very common things that we can cure easily with a couple of pills now would kill you. Like we, this is, um, this is insane. I'm glad you told us about this because you all need to stop listening to that number because it is based on ancient data. Yes. And, you know, yes, I want to say, I want to stress again, there definitely are risks for chromosome abnormalities and various other issues as you have a child later in life, but you can go around that in a safe way to make sure there's PGD testing and then you could, you test the sperm and you use the right sperm that doesn't have the abnormalities. So there's so many advances that you could have a child way past 35. Yes. And I, I always wonder about those numbers too, because people make it seem like if you are over the age of 35, that your chance of having chromosomal abnormalities, anything like that in your pregnancy is so much so much higher to it almost be a guarantee. But that also is not the case at all. Yeah. And you could be young and have a child with it with abnormalities as well. It's not just you only it only happens if you're 35 plus when you have right. a child. It, right. It can... Because I think there is sort of this narrative of of it's irresponsible. Like you're irresponsible. If you don't get around to having a child before 35 and you have one after, you're being irresponsible and you should have planned better in the future and you're being selfish because you should have done this for your child earlier mm -hmm. in your life and not put them in harm's way. It's really far from the truth. And if you go in the suburbs, especially more affluent towns, you see the moms and dads are older. Like they they focused on the career, they lived in cities and they worked. I have a lot of friends that their third was not until their 40s and or they started even their first after 35 because they were just they met someone later in life. They people go to grad school, they go to med medical school later in life and they just it just it's just the way life is now. You just kind right. of enjoy it for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, to not rush into decisions based on statistics from the 1700s. From a church in the 1700s. Right. I mean, let's, yes, also like that, just the religious overtones of like, it's righteous to have a child and-, and Exactly. You it, and You should do it early and often. And we're also talking about a time in history when you just had to, if you wanted children to survive, you had to have more children than were going to survive. Children were going to die in childhood. There were just so many diseases that your children could die of. Yes. And if you didn't have them earlier in life, your life expect expectancy was maybe 30, 35. So you needed to have them earlier. So you were, they were, you, they were still, you were alive to help them for a little bit. I mean, and let's also add that back in those days, you didn't have access to reliable birth control. There might've been some methods of birth control, but you did not have access to IUDs or pills or mm. anything like that, that like you were just sort of rolling the dice every time you had sex that like, you were going to get pregnant. And I mean, let's I face it. There, the there, yeah. There are people now that do not understand the cycle, a woman's fertility cycle it, month to month. So yes. let's, yeah, let's also just add that to the mix. You know, I think even back when we think about the 1700s, there was a lot of incestual situations and when there was abnormalities with it, in those situations, and they also associated those with older age, 
But if you think back, what was it really associated with? I know it's just, it's a raw thought, but it's the truth. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, there's been some studies like in, in 2016, the American Geriatric Journal actually came out with a study that women that have had children later on in life had a, in, a decreased risk of early onset menopause symptoms, which is pretty interesting. And it even like correlates with like breastfeeding too. women who breastfed longer and later on in their ages had also slower cognitive decline, which is, I thought that, that that's a pretty interesting telltale sign that it's not scary to have children later on in life because, yeah. you know, your estrogen levels and your progesterone levels are staying higher and increased and not depleting as, as soon as other women would. Yeah. No, that is super, super interesting. No one's on anyone else's timetable. You have to have a family at the rate that makes sense to you strategically. Also, your health plays into that as well. It's not just your age. It is not just your age. Financially, kids are expensive. Yeah. that's You need to be in a good place in order to have them. Yeah. They're expensive. Most, you get a lot. From, right. For most people is later in life. Exactly. You get a lot of hospital bills afterwards. Insurance doesn't cover everything. Yeah. I mean, and I, we could have a whole other discussion about the healthcare system <laughs> in America and insurance. The debunked healthcare it, system. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This has been a great discussion. Michelle, I think we have definitely debunked the myth of the cliff of 35. And I hope that we have really helped some people understand that the space between 35 and menopause is long. And it's going to be filled with all of these other opportunities. You could have a baby. You could not have a baby. You could experience perimenopause in your 30s for many years. You could experience symptoms for just a few years and then have that one glorious day of menopause before you're postmenopausal. So let's talk about how women can be more confident about all of this. So I want to say that aging is attached to confidence and be grateful and embrace this time of your life. And even if you're 35, that you're really growing into who you are as a woman. And we're no longer going to be seen like as aging and perimenopause and menopause as a barrier, but it's going to be a huge opportunity um, just to be financially independent, create your own narrative. But it's really a new type of fertility and it's intrinsic to recalibrate aging. And it's really going to transform the landscape of opportunity for generations to follow. And it's going to ripple through the generations of our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids. And it's really just We've had a high cultural tolerance for women's suffering, and it's never been regarded as important. And we're really, we're rewriting that story. And that's pretty exciting to me. Amen. That is very exciting to me too, because I really do hate the 35 spoiled eggs story. And I hate the menopause, old, dried up crone story too. And it's high time for us to destroy those stories. Older women are hot. Yeah. Yeah. And smarter and smarter. I love what you said about confidence because, yeah, I was a complete idiot in my my 20s. And even in my 30s, like I had a lot to learn. I'm still learning all day. All the time, always learning. Know confidently that you're just, you're going to get better with age. You're just going to get better. 
We are a fine wine. We are a fine wine. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. Please tell us where we can find you online. Thank you for having me. You can find us at femgevityhealth.com. We are on Instagram. Our handle is Femgevity Health. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. Just type in in the search bar, Femgevity Health. We have our blogs, webinars coming soon, events coming soon. So stay tuned. Amazing. I will link everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. It was wonderful being here. If you want to support The Spinster Life, listen up. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or sign up for the Substack newsletter, spinsterlife.substack.com or follow us on Instagram at livingthespinsterlife. I'm also on YouTube. The channel handle is The Spinster Life. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Take care.